Hey y'all, welcome to Well, Well, Well by LRH Wellness. I'm your host, Lexi, and this is where we dive deep into all things health and wellness. Here we get into the wellness weeds, call out health inequities, and work towards living a more well life, all centering Black perspectives. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Well, Well, Well. It's me, Lexi. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode. It is my first week of medical school, and let me tell you, balance. It is more important to me than ever before. It is a lot. It is a lot of new people. It is a new place. It is new material, new teachers, new approaches to everything, and I am taking it all in, but it is a hose, and we haven't even really gotten started yet, but you know, there's just so many different parts about it, and I'm sure I could do a whole episode for the pre-meds out there about your wellness and adjusting to medical school. Maybe I'll put that on the docket once I have it figured out, but you know, I'm just realizing that balance is so, so critical, and I feel so grateful that I took control of my wellness before coming here and really made sure that I had my own needs and foundations and like kind of that internal work of knowing what I needed set before being here because I can already tell this is this is going to be a journey. <laughs> Simply it's going to be a journey. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm also having to figure out what is going to be my bandwidth for other projects, other, you know, things I'm involved in, which is really hard for me, stepping back from some things and redirecting my energy. So all that's to say is it's been quite a week, you know, and a big thing about me is community and building community. And it's so crazy to sit in a room with over 100 people who I don't know. And I'm getting to make friends and I'm getting to learn people for sure. And those people are coming out to me, but it is like so incredible to think, how do I build community? How do I reignite that socializing part of me and, you know, put myself out there to meet people? It's just like exciting, but also so intimidating in so many different ways. But that is so unrelated to what today's podcast is about. Today's podcast, we have an incredible Incredible, incredible, incredible guest, Soroya Tinker. Soroya is a dear friend of mine and an incredible hockey player, but an even more incredible activist. Soroya is just an all-star, and we talk about her using her platform, her experience as being a black woman in sports, and especially in a predominantly white sport. And, you know, she just always offers so much insight, and just the work she does is so, so, so incredible. So a little bit about Soroya. Soroya Tinker is currently a professional women's hockey player for the NWHL's Toronto Six. She previously graduated from Yale University with her Bachelor's of Bachelor's of Arts in the History of Science, Medicine, and Public Health. In addition to her studies, she played on the Yale women's varsity hockey team. And since graduating, Soraya has found a passion for educating others and using her social media platforms to encourage and provide resources to other people. By doing so, Soraya has um, decided to provide mentorship program for young women. She feels confident in her abilities to educate and provide positive role model like figure for our world's up-and-coming amazing women. She's also the host of the Shut Up and Play podcast that aims to be another example of athletes taking control of the narrative to affect change. 
Korea does such incredible work looking to diversify hockey and to make people, you know, see the value of black women being in sports and providing that access to black kids and black youth. So stay tuned for Soraya's interview. I know you guys are going to absolutely love it. Okay. Hi, Soraya. How are you today? Good. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you so much for joining Well, Well, Well. You know, it's just awesome having you here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking me. So for people that don't know, Soraya is a superstar. You would have just listened to her bio, but Soraya, talk to us about how you started playing hockey. I know you're Canadian, but not everybody in Canada (laughs) plays hockey. Yeah. I mean, in Canada, everyone says we're born with skates on. So (laughs) I think everyone out here has probably tried hockey at one point, whether Mm -hmm. it's ball hockey, floor hockey roller hockey and gym class um but yeah my my dad actually grew up in Scarborough uh within the GTA of Toronto Mm -hmm. and he was a huge hockey fan he um he liked playing road hockey ice hockey and he never played at a super high level or anything like that but Mm -hmm. he experienced some racism in the sport growing up and he loved it so much so he put his kids in it um so I started out in gymnastics and dance and then said I was going to be too tall for gymnastics so (laughs) Uh, my dad made me into a big hockey defenseman. So that's what I am now. <laughs> there you go. So that's, you know, kind of crazy. Your dad experienced racism in hockey, but still was like so in love with the sport that yeah. he put his black children <laughs> in the hockey. How did he kind of like talk to you about his own experiences with racism? And then, you know, you playing hockey. How's yeah. that for you? I think my my dad's generation, he's, he kind of comes from the generation of like, you know, just let it go. Don't say anything or I'm going to get hurt. I mean, you know, and I mean, we're still in that era, I guess. But yeah. at the same time, my dad kind of just let it go in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when he explained his experiences to me, he was aware that I was going to have them. But at the same time, he knew that he put me in the sport for a reason and that I was shining brighter than a lot of the other kids on the ice so yeah. uh, I think that that was his kind of pride in it and really wanted us to succeed uh, more than our counterparts and and really pushed us but mm-hmm. at the same time we we loved it just as much as he did so uh, that's why we continue to play. That's so awesome so I mean I'm sure you've experienced racism I mean <laughs> I, I've known you for a while so I know it hasn't been all roses for you but yeah. what has it been like, you know, you've probably have been one of the few black players for all of your life, but like, you know, in different environments, how has that changed? And just like, what kind of like racism do you come into? Is it like really overt or is it subtle? Like what's happening there? Yeah, I I think, I mean, my first encounter with racism in my sport, I think I was about 12, 11, or 12 uh, and we were just talking in the dressing room and one of my teammates spoke up and she said shut up you stupid and she proceeded to call me the n-word and this was my own teammate um, and at that point, everyone just kind of looked around. Nobody really said anything. Um, and I didn't know what to say either as an 11 year old yeah. and, you know, n- not really having experienced something like that before. So with that being said, there wasn't really any accountability and that just continued throughout my career. Um, whether it was subtle, uh, or overt, um, definitely some more overt instances, but I think a lot of it was subtle microaggressions, especially during my time at Yale. Oh, um, yeah. so in, in that sense, I, I really think that 
it was frustrating growing up in that space and learning how to navigate that white space at the arena was something I definitely had trouble with. Um, especially at my time at Yale, I really viewed it as a job. I just kind of walked in with my headphones on, got on the ice, did my job and went home. Um, and you know, didn't really have any friends specifically on my team, probably one Mm -hmm. or two people that I spoke to daily on a regular basis and really wanted to have dinner or have a conversation with. Um, but yeah, I think moving forward, I didn't want to play professionally, mm-hmm. but then I decided to just for the girls behind me, but, but yeah, <laughs> you're such an inspiration because, you know, that'd make me quit, frankly, like having your <laughs> own teammates be so rude. And did you yeah. ever find like allies on your team, like white allies on your team or on other teams who would like stick up for you in these moments? And, you know, even like, I've seen some of your games before and like the way refs would treat you would be like you would get carded and like (laughs) penalties so much more than other people for like no reason and I you know I'm I can't even pretend to be like that knowledgeable about hockey but like I could see it so you know did you have people who stuck up for you allies or maybe even other black women in the sports and I know there you know there was one other young lady at Yale and she was a first year when we were seniors I think right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I think I mean it was it was definitely hard in terms of navigating my team and knowing who to open up to and who not to and um, figuring out what click I fit into if I even fit into one of them Uh, so in that sense I don't think I really found any um specific friends, but I, I definitely have uh, one ally. I'm, I'm sure you, Tara Hoffman, uh, yeah. she also, she's in our class um, as well, but she's always comfortable speaking up on my behalf uh, if she needs to stick up for something someone said awesome. or or she, she sees them say something else. Maybe it doesn't even have to do with race. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that she was good at holding people accountable. But I think throughout my career, I think that was the biggest issue. There wasn't a lot of accountability for what Mm. was going on. And um, there was so much ignorance. So it was just so hard to navigate that and let them know that what they were doing was wrong. I didn't just have a bad attitude about what happened in the game or something like that. I was actually upset with something that was said that wasn't okay. So um, definitely hard to navigate but definitely found some allies along the way. But I, I would say Tara's been a go-to. I, uh, it'll be our ninth season playing together next wow. year, I believe, if I'm counting correctly, nine or 10 uh, years That's in a row. so wild. So, <laughs> so I always know that Hoff's got my back. <laughs> That's so great. That's uh, that, what a bond. And like, you know, thinking about so, you know, the episode that will come out this week is all I'm talking about, you know, why I'm not watching the Olympics this year. Yeah. And in that episode, I talk about how there's this like ownership bands feel of black athletes. Mm-hmm. Did you ever experience something like that, whether in your professional career, your college career, or, you know, club career prior? Um, I wouldn't say something as hard or direct as what's currently going on with the Olympians. Um, but definitely in terms of like body image and things like that, I think yeah. um, being a female athlete is hard in general. And then we move into the sport of hockey where you are mostly using your legs and your butt for everything uh, you're worth out there on the ice. So yeah. in that sense, you're, you're heavier, you're stronger. We lift heavy in season we're always going so in that sense I've always struggled with body image and we Mm -hmm. see that with these athletes that are 
like this is just crazy like I I don't even like talking about it like it frustrates me so much but yeah um things like that like uh like I don't know it's just it's crazy what we experience as as black females I I like to bring up the story um I'm sure you know uh Venus Hottentot like Mm -hmm. I I I know I I wrote about her in my thesis but like she was paraded around Europe for the way her body looked and like yeah as a black woman we're we're known for that and I think um those stereotypes need to be diminished at this point in time (laughs) definitely and so you talk a lot about how body image there's like this struggle with body image and I think you know a lot of people experience that yes but like black women it's you know especially harsh because there are so many stereotypes that come with the body image of a black woman yeah that being said you know black women are rarely viewed as soft or delicate or people to be cherished and you know give you know we're given that like strong label which has its place you know yeah. I'm, I'm sure on the ice you want to be strong you want to be powerful you want to lift heavy you want to feel that power but I'm sure there's also moments when you want to feel docile <laughs> and soft and fragile and so yeah. how does that you know ex- kind of contrast really mm-hmm. present itself for you as a female athlete, particularly in a sport that is so demanding mm-hmm. of like, you know, you got to lift heavy. You're not, you know, trying to cut weight crazily like uh, some other yeah. sports are. Yeah. For me, I've definitely had to find balance in doing that. Um, for myself throughout college, I would binge weekends when I knew I had to play for mm-hmm. 40 minutes of my game and then starve myself throughout the week and just have a snack before practice because I yeah. wanted to look a certain way and I know that I'm not the only female athlete that that goes through that black yeah. or white um mm-hmm. so in that sense I think it's it's finding that balance and I still struggle to find it now mm-hmm. um I think a lot of the way that I I do that balance is by painting those body images that I I like to paint yeah. um so for me, I think it's just really, it's important to know yourself and know your body and understand um, how to love yourself, which I think we're all always still learning how to do. But for myself, I, I talk about being unapologetically me. And that's something that I try to go back to and relate to every single day um, when I wake up, just because I don't want to have to apologize for the person that I am or the body that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of Black women need to need to recognize within themselves and, and you know, transform that about them because we'll have a whole new mindset when we do. That's really empowering. And, you know, you are a multifaceted person, which we will talk about later, but talk about, you know, getting into painting and what that experience has been, because you do a lot of body image paints and what has that kind of contributed to your own perspectives of body image and painting for your own health and wellness and that experience? Yeah, I I think I paint the style that I paint because it always one well one it's relaxing and it's soothing for me um it kind of puts me in a different space it makes me feel as though I'm not stressed as as the moment I put the paintbrush down I feel like I am again but at the same time um the body images that I paint I know that I can't mess up on them because I think all bodies are different and uh we all need to realize that we all have our unique differences and um those are powerful and they're beautiful and every painting ends up being beautiful at the end because you know everyone's different (laughs) yeah that's so incredible how did you get into painting 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I always was into art throughout high school and um, throughout my whole life, really. My mom's a pretty good artist. She probably doesn't think she is, but she definitely is. And I kind of grew up seeing her paintings around the house. Mm -hmm. Kind of put the paintbrush down throughout high school, was just really trying to get those good grades to get into school and go where I wanted to go. Uh, And I only recently picked the paintbrush back up come March Uh, 2020 when we got stuck at home from COVID and had to finish our class online so um, that's really when I picked it back up and I've just always loved art and music and things like that but have kind of pushed it aside to let Mm -hmm. my athleticism shine instead. It's really incredible that you do so much and you know you talk about having to push your kind of artistic side aside for your athleticism do you feel that there was ever kind of a pressure to like pick or, you know, be the athlete versus be the student versus be the artist? Yeah, I think there definitely was. But at the same time, I like to have a full schedule and do everything. So I think that's that's why I chose to attend Yale and be mm-hmm. able to kind of flourish in my education, but also flourish on the ice. Meanwhile, my team wasn't one of the top teams in in the league, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I still got to play. I still got to um, play in college and live out my dream that way, but also awesome. receive a good education. Yeah, um, and that's something that I I take great pride in, just because I think that that's important as as women and as female athletes that we we look at, just because our sports currently don't don't usually pay us a living wage, and and we're yeah. not as appreciated as the men are within sports. So mm-hmm. I think it's important that we focus on education as well and do as much as we can. That's really <laughs> awesome, and I agree with that completely. And so, you know, you talk about all the things you do and like appreciating a full schedule, but like, how do you find balance, and mm-hmm. how do you find that kind of equilibrium that supports yeah. you in your health and wellness? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as, as bad as it may sound, I think I'm still trying to find that. Um, I think <laughs> as 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 we enter the real world, um, having just, I mean, we just graduated last year. I think it, it's been really weird. And mm-hmm. graduating amidst a, in a pandemic is, is just kind of crazy as well. So finding that balance and learning how to live in the real world and um, do big girl things now, you know? So yeah. um, we, we have a lot to, to learn and I think I'm still finding that balance. But um, I would say currently just, you know, taking time to myself, journaling, um, mm-hmm. you know, going hiking, things like that, uh, doing things outdoors and kind of getting away from social media has been my yeah. um, my way of balancing things so far. <laughs> yeah. And so you are, you know, a public figure and you use your platform in really positive ways. And so the, uh, this is going to be kind of a two-part question, but the first part is just like, do you get backlash for using your platform via social media or otherwise? Yeah, I think um, most of the backlash I've received is probably uh, in terms of my activism for Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter and for the Black women within the communities I'm trying to reach. Um, but at the same time, I think the positivity that I receive outweighs the negativity. So when I do happen to come across those negative messages, it's it's typically easy to ignore. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I do think that it brought a new perspective for myself on social media thinking Mm -hmm. and reading these comments like wow like people really are mean you know (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it it, it's crazy sometimes but at 
at the same time, there's so many positive comments out there. And I mean, I think if you have haters, you're probably doing your job right. So we'll continue <laughs> to do right. what we're doing. <laughs> oh, that's right, girl. And so what do you think, do you feel like there's a responsibility you have to use your platform to be an activist, to speak out for injustices you're seeing in your sport and otherwise? Yeah, for sure. I think as athletes, we're given a certain level of platform to use and it's your choice whether you use it or not. But for myself, I would see it as just a complete waste of my time if I didn't Mm -hmm. um, use my platform for good and use it uh, to empower other people and educate others and, you know, support the black women that I'm trying to support within my communities. So uh, in that sense, I, I think that I do feel a responsibility, but I enjoy it. That's awesome. And so, you know, you talk a little bit about the different communities and the Black women in those communities you're trying to uplift. Can you describe, you know, Soraya Strong and how you're trying to uplift various Black women and girls? Yeah. So um, currently I work with Black Girl Hockey Club as a volunteer. Um, I'm on on their scholarship committee. So we give scholarships to Black girls who play hockey all across North America. Um, And I really enjoy doing that. But I'm also a volunteer mentor for that community as well. So Mm -hmm. my community is for Black women, BIPOC women in sport um, that want to come to our virtual community. We do Zoom workouts. We've got guest speakers, um, nutritional advice, one-on-one meetings. I send them bi-weekly newsletters. Um, Mm -hmm. And with that, I'm really just trying to reach out and make sure that they have the support that I feel that I needed when I was Mm -hmm. that age. Um, So my girls range from nine to 21. um, And I think it's so great to talk to them and and get to know them. And I, I love meeting with them. I was just out with two of my girls, they're twins. Um, I took them out for lunch yesterday and uh, I just love getting to know them. I think it's cool to hear their stories and uh, connect with them and be that role model in their life and and show them and answer those questions that they might have that they might not ask their parents and mm-hmm. be there as a, as a black role model in their life. Cause I think that that's so important for black women. That's so awesome. And so, you know, you kind of talk about the support you wish you had, like Mm-hmm. What do you think is lacking for Black women athletes generally, but also specifically in hockey? Yeah. I mean, for myself, I people always ask me, one of the main questions people ask me in my interviews is, who was your role model? And to be honest, there wasn't any Black women that played when I was coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm um, within the generation, there's six of us that currently play professionally. Wow. And the, the oldest one that that's played professionally is 30. So wow. we, we almost overlapped in our careers. So the first black woman to ever play on a national team was in 1998. And that was Angela James. And 1998 was the year I was born. So yeah. <laughs> um, in that sense, I, I never really got to see her play. I didn't have any role models. So for, for myself, I, I know that I have to take that role as a role model and, and be there for those girls because mm-hmm. I'm the only one that looks like them as they're coming up in their sport. So yeah. it's, it's important for me to take on that role. And I, I, I do feel a responsibility in that as well. That's, you know, that's just so shocking. I mean, it's not shocking looking at hockey, <laughs> but it is yeah. shocking. And like for context, how many people are on a team? Uh, I would say between 21 and 25. And like how many ish teams are in the league you're in? 
Uh, we've got currently there's six teams in my professional league, but ECAC, um, WCHA, like all those, all those leagues and stuff, there's so many teams within NCAA. And I, I think currently there's six of us playing for professionally and there's 13 black women currently playing NCAA D1 to D3. That's crazy. That's that's wild. And is Mm -hmm. men's any better? Um, I would say it's, it's probably a little better in terms of numbers, but at the same time, we're seeing black women come into the sport. Like, I mean, my program is for all of North America, but we also have our scholarship awardees come right into my program. And -hmm. I've got 33 girls on my email list. Wow. And, and that's, I mean, that's a lot and not, not every black girl who plays hockey is on my list. And this is just of yeah. six months of me doing this. So there are black women that want to play hockey and, and they need role models like us. Yes, they do. I know that's right. <laughs> that's so awesome that you're doing that. And so, you know, thinking it's a small world, obviously of black female athletes in hockey, but have you been able to find solidarity and sisterhood with black female athletes, not in hockey? And what has that experience, you know, going kind of cross sports been like for you? Yeah, I think that I really didn't, I felt like I didn't have any other option, but to mm-hmm. actually go across and, and, you know, find girls in other sports to be friends with. Um, a lot of people know my my best friend uh, Ariel. She was on Yale soccer. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I I love reaching out to other Black female athletes just because I think they probably would relate to me more than I could even relate to my own teammates. Just in terms of how we how we go about listening to music, how we go about our lives, our mm-hmm. our everyday you know procedures that we we go through and yeah. and whatnot. So um, looking at WNBA girls and and stuff like that and NWSL. Um, we got Michelle Alozi that I, I still talk to. So yeah. in that sense, I, I think it's so awesome to find other black women in, in other sports that will want to support you in your sport as well. Mm-hmm. And do you find that like, I mean, obviously you can't speak for other people, but were you able to find camaraderie about, you know, some of the same racism, some of the same kind of isolation you experienced being black women in sports? Yeah, I think some of them um, probably don't have the same experiences necessarily as I do just coming from an incredibly white sport. And I think some of them were definitely surprised at what I experienced just because they've got people on their team that have got their back and other people to say that's not okay and or they're the majority of their team is of color so um I definitely think there's a there's a mutual understanding I think just across the board as female athletes in general so when you add blackness into it it's just um you know it makes it even more relatable when you when you talk to other black female athletes so uh I I think it's enjoyable to talk to them about their um their positive experiences but also their negative and find out um how much work we still got to (laughs) do Definitely a lot of work to do. And, you know, kind of thinking of that work, you talked earlier about your advocacy and speaking out about Black Lives Matter and, you know, different racism experiences within your own sport and the need to diversify your sport. What does advocacy look like for you on your platform? So, you know, for people who don't follow your accounts or haven't heard you speak publicly before, you know, what does it mean to be an advocate for you? Yeah, I think it means, you know, sticking up for standing up for the things that I believe in and vocalizing my opinion and making sure that our communities stay diverse and inclusive for other people. 
Um, so, I mean, I also just got my podcast, it's called shut up and play. And we're talking about athletes as activists. So I've been able to do more research about what I should be doing in my activism and, um, the ways that I can further impact the communities that I'm trying to impact. So, uh, it's, it's amazing to continue to learn, but, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think just continuing to be an advocate for the things that I truly believe in and want to see change. That's really awesome. And, you know, this is a different different direction, but thinking about you know being an athlete, you, people assume athletes are extremely healthy, right? And you know people, and it, it's not that you're not healthy or anything, but like, how does wellness, like a kind of more holistic, like obviously you know your body is your tool, you have to be able to lift, you have to be able to be you know on the ice and all of that stuff, but how is wellness promoted or not promoted in your sport? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a number of circumstances that I can come up with how it's it's not necessarily um, the best thing for us at the time. Um, I know for myself, one thing that I hated doing uh, was weighing myself before every mm-hmm. practice and having to tell my trainer what I weighed. I, you know, it was traumatizing to step on the scale every day. I hated doing yeah. that. Um, and I don't think that promotes wellness at all. Um, and there's plenty more examples that I could probably come up with, but I think wellness for me is kind of finding what fits, um, and what works for me. Cause what works for me isn't necessarily what's going to work for you. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, finding the balance between stretching and yoga and versus lifting hard and having to, you know, compete every second, um, that I'm, that I'm out there or working out. So, um, I think, for myself, there's, there's plenty of areas within my sport that I don't think wellness is promoted and the best, but, um, there's, that just means there's room for improvement. (laughs) Definitely. And so, you know, you're kind of alluding to my next question. Um, so what does wellness mean for you? Mm -hmm. Um, that's a hard question. (laughs) I hope more of your guests have trouble with this question as well. Everybody does. (laughs) Um, but, wellness to me, I think means, um, taking time to myself and, you know, mentally, um, being okay. I think for myself, a lot of the times I'm physically fine. Um, Mm -hmm. but mentally I'm not all the way there. So, um, I think wellness to me is more so, um, incorporated in terms of my mental health and making sure I'm doing the things to be well in that sense, whether it's listening to my calm music before I fall asleep and having it help me fall asleep instantly or journaling and using my forgiveness journal or whatever it may be. Um, so I think being mentally well um, is is what really what comes to mind when I think of wellness. <laughs> That's such a good answer. Don't worry, everybody has trouble answering that. <laughs> and that was a lovely answer. Nobody's given me oh, a bad answer okay. yet. So oh, Soraya, <laughs> before we go, I will have this all in the bio of this episode, but where can people find you if they want to get involved with Soraya Strong or support your work or just kind of follow yeah. along? Where can people find you? Yeah, so I am Soraya Tinker 71 on all social media platforms, and you can visit my website, www.soroyastrong.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Soraya, for joining us today, and stay tuned for your wellness tip and wellness question after the break, everybody. Thanks again, Soraya. Thank you so much. Let's be honest. 
Wellness is hard, but it doesn't need to be. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're looking for ways to approach your wellness that accounts for the wholeness of you. I'm excited to announce to my listeners that I'm launching Accountable, a one-on-one wellness coaching program with me, Lexi, the founder of LRH Wellness and host of Well, Well, Well. As your coach and wellness champion, I will work to create a tailored program that will guide you to achieving your wellness goals. Sign up today for a free consultation while spots remain. Today's wellness tip is honoring your morning routine and a morning routine that's best for you. So I've been seeing the trend on TikTok where, you know, everybody talks about their hyperproductive mornings, waking up at six, working out, eating breakfast, doing all these things. And, you know, that's great for them. But I think there's this pressure that everybody needs to be a morning person and everybody has to have a super robust morning routine. And that's not the truth at all. My morning routine, I am a morning person. I am somebody who is up at four. I do most of my things in the morning because I know I kind of crash at around 7 p.m. no matter what time I wake up but I know that like after 7 p.m. I just don't work well and so you know I had to learn that for me and I had to find that routine which was really counter in college what most people were going by but I had to find a routine that was best for me because it set me up to be regulated throughout the day to have the best day and to deal with the unpredictability of the day and so while you might not be a morning person that's okay find a morning routine that is conducive to that if you're somebody who has trouble waking up in the morning but you know you're somebody who also wants to meditate or journal when your alarm goes off and you're starting to wake up take that time to journal sit in bed read you don't have to jump right up and go straight into the day Find a routine that is best for you so you set your day up for success. That's all what a morning routine is supposed to drive you to do, setting your day up for success. So find that morning routine that is best for you and honor it. Stay consistent. Try it out every day. Really get in that rhythm so that that routine becomes habit and becomes second nature. This week's wellness question is, what's the deal with breakfast and should I be eating it? If so, what? This is a great question. Everybody says breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And I was somebody who did not believe that. And I mean, I am somebody who doesn't feel that either, but I cognitively know it. And I can tell you this, you know, you might not notice the difference between yourself when you eat breakfast or when you don't. But the reality is breakfast is really important for your body's functioning. Eating breakfast helps improve your energy levels throughout the day and your ability to concentrate in the short term. And it can, it's critical for weight management. And being eating a high fiber breakfast will help you feel fuller throughout the day. So you'll feel fuller longer. So you eat smaller portions, you are more alert. And additionally, in the long term, it can help reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes and other heart disease. So, you know, breakfast is really important. And while you might not feel like, you know, you, you don't eat breakfast and then all of a sudden feel so awake, right? You still might feel lethargic throughout the morning. That's okay because your body is still working that fuel in. Your body feels the benefits of the breakfast, even if you don't recognize it. So breakfast is super important. I suggest to all my weight loss clients I work with that you eat a high fiber breakfast. That's what the literature recommends. That high fiber breakfast so you get all those nutrients in so your body doesn't burn a lot of energy trying to burn that breakfast off, but also so it keeps you fuller and long, fuller longer throughout the day. That's going to be super critical to your weight management and keeping your metabolism 
regulated and, you know, making the most of your day. You don't want to feel starving, you know, an hour later. So eat your breakfast. Thanks for listening to another episode of Well, Well, Well by LRH Wellness. If you found this podcast helpful or it resonated with you, make sure you like, subscribe, share, and give it a five-star rating. Check out lrhwellness.com to see available wellness programs and consider supporting work. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.